With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Welcome in to MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you on this spectacular Tuesday from the Izuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports is going to be joining me in the second segment. He is the host of their series, Old Baseball Cards. We're going to talk to him about some of the pennant races, teams that he thinks should be buyers and sellers, and just some of the stars of baseball in general. That's going to be fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Them All. First things first, you guys asked me a couple Twitter questions, and you can always fire those in at junior one As always, tweet those into the timeline if you tweet them into my DMs. Well, my DMs is a big giant black hole where everything goes into it and nothing comes out of it, as in I don't read them at all, so... Let's get into the Twitter questions that you guys fired in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Jaw and sign 5S at Jake 456 at GNRSquarty1. Do you switch up how you bet when you're on a cold streak? Absolutely not. This is one of these things that I feel like I've addressed on this podcast quite a few times. You don't change up how you're betting just because a few days go bad. And heck, for me, it was only essentially one cold day yesterday. I wound up having a little bit of a lesser day, but it was just one of those things where I had a push instead of a win that essentially had me down a unit, unit and a half. It's one of those things where you just stay the course if you have a track record of success. You're going to just go through a couple bad days. It's one of those things where if you're a guy that bets a lot like me, 
Don't become timid just because you've had a couple bad days. And at the same time, if you're someone that you're a selective better and everything like that, don't go off the rails. Don't start betting everything. Don't like triple your unit size or anything like that just because you've had a couple bad days as well. It's one of those situations where staying the course is always the best way to go. I feel like I've said that on this podcast so many times, but it is true. I'm not just making this up when I say it. It is always the best way to go. Jesse Flynn at Jesse Flynn JR as at one When doing your analysis, do you consider the plus one and a half side of a run line, or are you just going to take the side that you go with on the money line of a big underdog instead of the plus one and a half? I ask because the minus one and a half run line got cream yesterday, but most of the games were winners by one run, and this was in regards to Sunday where I believe we had eight one-run games. And this is one of these situations where for me to take a run and a half, it has to be a very big underdog because what you'll notice with a lot of these games in which you're getting a run and a half, you're going to have to lay a lot of juice. And there are just some days where... You have a lot of one-run games. There are just other days where nothing is a one-run game as well. It's just one of those things where there are some days where you're glad you took the run line and you've laid a run and a half. There are other days where it really does bite you in the butt. And it's one of those things where you've got to take the long-term approach. You can't just play it as an oh, I think there's going to be a bunch of one-run games today. I'm going to have to lay minus 150 on a run and a half or anything like that. It's one of those things where I personally really don't play getting a run and a half unless if I do think that there is a good chance that that game is going to be a one-run game and the underdog is going to lose by one run. I did it a few weeks ago when Chris Sale was on the mound for the Boston Red Sox against the Chicago White Sox. White Sox wound up winning that game, but getting a run and a half, I was still getting a plus price. I felt pretty good about that. It's one of those things I do very seldom. And the only reason why I ever would take a run and a half is because I think it's going to be a close game. And I do think that there is value on the underdog and I'm probably getting a plus price. Nick A, who goes by the Twitter handle at NickAllRed85S at GNRSCore81. Would you recommend making sure that games are only action if the pitching matchup stays the same? Or are you on a game either way? This is one of these things where when I'm betting, I always bet the listed pitcher. As you guys know, I'm a schmuck and I play every single one of these games. And I always go with both listed pitchers because a pitching matchup is paramount to me. It's one of those things where I want to make sure that I'm going up against that pitcher that is listed on the other side and I want to be getting the pitcher for me. My picks do change quite a bit based on starting pitching as you guys have noticed from my timeline quite a bit and it's one of those things where if you go action you might go from maybe like Jacob deGrom going for the New York Mets say for some reason he gets scratched and instead now you've got let's throw out there Steven Matz that's a massive difference right there we saw yesterday with the Pittsburgh Pirates you had McCray coming in instead of Jordan Lyles if you were fading Jordan Lyles well either way you were going to be a winner but at the same time if the Pittsburgh Pirates would have trotted out there some prospect that you were high on it might wind up changing your pick on that game because if you were all about fading Jordan Lyles, who knows what you're seeing in that other pitcher. So I'm one of those people. I always advise going pitcher-dependent personally. I know that some of you guys are on a side no matter what. And if you're going to be betting a team on the money line no matter what because you really can't do action on totals, you can't do actions on run line, anything like that, I recommend you only do this if you know that you're not going to be able to refire if a pitcher does wind up getting scratched. Or in some of these cases, there is an unfortunate situation where even if you are checking, a pitcher gets scratched at the last minute. We saw that with the Washington Nationals. Joe Ross was supposed to be the starting pitcher. They wind up putting in an opener for him in the 
couple minutes leading up to it. That was obviously a little bit of an unfortunate situation, but I think the most important thing here is to just be checking your pitchers. If you see that a guy gets scratched, just refire your bet. I feel like that's the best way to go about it, just because you don't want to be the victim of bait and switch. We get this one, a little bit more of a sarcastic one from Tony B, at Tony B. 441 as at GNRS41. So let me ask you this. If you needed two innings of pitching to save your life, who would you take? Homer Bailey, Fernando Rodney, or Chris Archer? This is a very easy one. Homer Bailey, he's actually shown a little bit of promise so far this year. With Fernando, oh no, Rodney. Oh gosh, he has cost me so many tickets. It's not even funny. And you just take a look at Chris Archer. The guy is just a human pinata at this point. So give me Homer Bailey in that regard. He's at least won a couple games. And honestly, ever since the beginning of June, I know he had that rough outing against the Houston Astros. Hasn't necessarily been the worst. The one true king in the North at Save Our in Spencer. Hopefully I said that one correctly. At GNRS41. Do you take into account when American League teams play interleague and cannot use a DH? Or does that not play much of a factor in a team's offensive numbers? The big thing is, how is that normal DH going to be used in the game? Because typically... We see the normal DH wind up playing like first base or something like that. It's a very common occurrence. If you wind up having a big bopper who is a designated hitter, that's not going to be in there. Say like a Domingo Santana. I know that he's been used as a DH quite a bit for the Seattle Mariners. Say that he gets taken out of the lineup. That's a big bet that the Seattle Mariners all of a sudden do not have. And on the reverse, sometimes it actually gives the National League team a little bit of an advantage as well because Pablo Sandoval, not a guy that's seen a whole lot of consistent at-bats this year for the San Francisco Giants. He's been one of their best batters. Say that the Giants are playing an interleague game and they're playing against an American League team and now they can use them. That actually gives you a little bit of a stock up on the Giants. And when it comes to that with the pitchers actually hitting, there are just very few pitchers that I really take into account because with pitchers, there are very few that really do hashtag rake. I mean, like Noah Syndergaard, Brandon Woodruff, and everything like that. I just consider most pitchers an automatic out unless if there's something to sway me otherwise. So hopefully that covered all the layers of that question. And I'll throw this in here. What you also notice with some of these teams that they wind up do playing interleague as well is the fact that some of the guys that maybe say that that star DH winds up not starting the game, he still can be inserted in for the pitcher in like the 6th, 7th inning. So he might wind up playing the critical innings of a game as well. So always be cognizant of that. There's a lot of layers to it. It is something that you consider, but it's probably not going to be a maker or a breaker in regards to your play. So thank you so much for asking those questions, guys. Now let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to become better handicappers from it, and let's try to find some trends. So what teams and players is Greg looking to back? He will lay it on you in the call-up. The Colorado Rockies appeared to have needed some home cooking, and it served them very well against the LA Dodgers as they wind up getting a 9-1 to win for the LA Dodgers. They just weren't able to generate a lot of offense in general in this game. Four hits as John Gray was absolutely spectacular. He winds up going eight innings, giving up three hits, one earned run. Wade Davis was able to close the door in the ninth inning. And for the Colorado Rockies, just one home run in this one. What I find very interesting about Coors Field is that you're getting all these high-scoring games and everything like that, but it's not because of a lot of home runs. It's just because of a lot of hits in general. David Dahl hit that home run his 15th of the year. The Colorado Rockies continue to lead lead the league in regards to runs per game at home. They wind up pounding out 11 hits, and for Kenta Maeda, just not a good start in this one. Four innings pitch, he gives up six runs, five of which were earned. He's actually done a very good job whenever he doesn't face off against the LA Angels, but clearly Maeda doesn't like pitching at Coors Field, and then the bullpen from there 
winds up going a combined four innings. They give up three runs, all of which were earned, and giving up all three of those was Josh Shorbis. I've never heard of him before in my life, and he now has an ERA of an 18. So needless to say, things did not necessarily go well for him there. The Toronto Blue Jays, who had one player with a batting average above a 230 entering into their game against the Kansas City Royals in the starting lineup, wind up getting a 7-3 win over the Royals. Brad Keller, who had been looking very spectacular throughout the month of July, he winds up giving up three home runs in this one. Seven innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. By the way, I think he gave up three home runs at home for the entire year going into this game as going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. How about Randall Gritchick, his 17th home run of the year, Teoscar Hernandez, his 15th, and Kevon Biggio, his 8th. And for Thomas Benone, not a bad start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, and the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen continues to be quite good. They go three innings, do not give up a single run. Meanwhile, for the Royals, they wind up pitching two innings out of the bullpen. They give up three runs. Things not necessarily going well for the Royals bullpen as they have been a little bit taxed. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, looks like a little bit of a turnaround is coming around for them despite the fact that they sold off a lot of pieces. The Washington Nationals on prime time were able to take down the Atlanta Braves by kind of 6-3. of three, And it was thanks to one big hit by Anthony Rendon. He winds up getting a sixth inning grand slam off of Chad Sabatka. That was his 80th RBI of the year, by the way, and that is his 23rd of the campaign as Patrick Corbin. Another good start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gave up two runs, both of which were earned, and he was actually hurt by a pair of errors out there on the field, so he was able to overcome that. From there, the Washington Nationals got a scoreless ending out of Wander Suero. Fernand, oh no, Rodney, which Someone call up the papers on that one. And John Doolittle gave up a run out of the bullpen. The Atlanta Braves were able to get a home run in that ninth inning off of Doolittle from Charlie Culverson, his fourth of the year. But for Dallas Keuchel, not necessarily the best start in this one. Five into third innings is what he goes. Gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Two of those base runners that were a part of that grand slam that Chad Sabaki gave up as he gave up two runs while recording two outs were to his credit as well as the Braves bullpen has been very good all year long, but in this one, it was Sabadka giving up that grand slam, so obviously not the best of showings there. Not the best of showings for the Arizona Diamondbacks as they wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 11-6. Merrill Kelly just had a rough go of it. Six innings pitch, give him credit. He was able to go a full six, but he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, six of which were in the second inning. That was an inning in which there was a pair of errors by the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of which was a Merrill Kelly throw himself. Things just were not going well for him, though the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to do a very good job of hitting on the road. Cattell Marte is 23rd home run of the year, and Carson Kelly is 13th, but for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get a very good start out of Caleb Smith. He wound up giving up one of those home runs. He goes seven innings, gives up four runs, now 7-4 and four on the year. The Miami Marlins bullpen, which appears to be a little bit improved, did give up two runs at two innings, but on this day, it was one in which they could let up, because Brad Anderson wound up providing his 15th home run of the year, and Miguel Rojas is fourth, as the Miami Marlins were able to get a grand total of 10 hits. They were able to go 6 of 8 with men in scoring position. Needless to say, that is not normal. The San Diego Padres were able to take down the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 8-1. to one. For the Baltimore Orioles, they just were not able to do a whole lot with men on base. They wind up leaving 10 men on base and they had David Hess try to give a start in this one and it didn't go as planned. David Hess entered into this one giving up nearly 3 home runs per 9 innings and he gave up 4 in 4 and 2 thirds innings giving up 5 runs, all of which were earned. And then coming out of the bullpen for this team, you had Dylan Tate give up three runs in two innings as well. So, all in all, it was not a good showing for the Baltimore Orioles, but it was a good showing for the Padres as Eric Hosmer goes deep twice. His 14th and 15th home run of the year 
Luis Arias, his first home run of the year. And then you had Fernando Tatis Jr. going yard. That was his 18th of the year. And Famio Reyes, his 27th, as Chris Paddock. A good start in this one. Five and a third innings. He gives up just one run. And then the bullpen from there, Abel shut the door in the final three and two-thirds innings. So, got to give them a lot of credit. And you got to give credit to the Detroit Tigers. This is a team that, entering into this contest against the LA Angels, had lost 30 out of their last 35 games. And of those games... 24 of those losses had been on the run line. They wind up getting a 7-2 win in this one. And for the Detroit Tigers, they were really able to get the offense generated early and often as they wind up going 3-10 of 10 with men in scoring position. And they get a pair of home runs. Miguel Cabrera, his sixth home run of the year. And Jody Mercer, his fourth as for the LA Angels. Jaime Barilla wound up actually not giving a bad start in this one. Five innings pitch. He does give up three runs, including those two home runs, but only two of which were earned. It was a bullpen that really let them down. As the bullpen winds up going a combined four innings, they give up four runs, three of which were earned. This has been an issue for the Angels, and they have now lost four out of their last five. Needless to say, that's a cool streak. The lone bright spot for the Angels, Cole Calhoun, he gets his 24th home run off of Jordan Zimmerman, who entered into this contest 0-8 on the year with a 7-5-7 ERA. He winds up going five and a third innings in this one. Gives up two runs, both of which were earned. And then the bullpen winds up providing three and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single run in the process. And the Cincinnati Reds really put an exclamation point on the day as they were able to just completely clobber the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 11-6. In this one, it was supposed to be Jordan Lyles getting the start for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He winds up getting traded just before the game to the Milwaukee Brewers. So things had to be changed around a little bit as getting the start for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Alex McCray, and it went about as well as you'd expect the first career start of Alex McCray to go. He records four outs, giving up seven runs, five of which were earned in the process. From there, the bullpen pitching did not necessarily provide a lot. They wind up having to go a combined six and a third innings, giving up four runs, but only one of which was earned, and all those were the... Credit of Montana DeRapow. He goes three innings as a long reliever. He gives up four runs, only one of which was earned. There was just a lot of errors and sloppy play out there by the Pittsburgh Pirates. But you've got to give the Pittsburgh Pirates a little bit of credit in that they were able to get three home runs. Cal Moran was able to hit a grand slam off of Wandy Peralta, his 11th of the year. Sterling Marte is 18th of the year. And Brian Reynolds, his 9th. For Reynolds and Marte, those both came off of Sonny Gray, who didn't necessarily have his A game in this one, though he got the win five and a third innings. He gives up four runs, including two home runs. And then from there, Wandy Peralta winds up giving up two runs, including that grand slam himself, as a couple of those runs were transferred over to Sonny Gray. So the Cincinnati Reds continue to have a bottom five bullpen out there in the big leagues over their last 30 days. But all in all, they were able to get the job done because the Pittsburgh Pirates are now 2-15 and 15 in their last 17 games since the All-Star break. So needless to say, things not going well there. What did we all learn from the MLB slate on Monday? The Baltimore Orioles are a team that you must fade whenever David Hess is out there on the mound. The Washington Nationals are starting to get some very good offense. And Dallas Keuchel looking a little bit shaky right now. The LA Angels, well, they're certainly not playing good baseball right now. Merrill Kelly might be in for a little bit of regression. The Cincinnati Reds are putting up a lot of runs. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, well, they just continue to struggle. The Toronto Blue Jays might be picking it up with their bats. And perhaps Brad Keller is seeing some regression. And the Colorado Rockies just needed some home cooking. So that was Monday. Now let's talk a little bit of general baseball. Let's take a look at some of these postseason races. And let's just talk about some of the stars of the game. We're going to be doing that with Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Best.
Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. Here on MLB Overtime Betting, Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He has joined me once before on this podcast. He does some terrific work with Yahoo Sports, and he is also the host of Old Baseball Cards, sort of a little series that they do over there. He just cracks open some baseball cards. I remember one of the episodes was with Pete Rose, so that was very awesome. This is a gentleman that is based out there in the state of California. And you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Oz. That is his name, M-I-K-E-O-Z. And it is Mike Oz joining me. And how are you doing on this fine day? Hey, I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And I know you're a big baseball card guy and everything like that. If you were looking at the back of a baseball card this year, who would you say has the gaudiest numbers this year? Because I think that the race for some of these awards like the National League MVP, the American League MVP, they are so fascinating. I think that Mike Trout doing a very good job out there in the American League. But when you take a look at the National League, you got guys like Christian Yelich, Pete Alonzo, Cody Bellinger. It's been a really good year just for individual stats in general. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to go Yelich. I think that his numbers are pretty crazy across the board. Bellinger, of course, is, is right there, too. And you mentioned Mike Trout, and Mike Trout is, is right there. But, I mean, I just Christian Yelich, I think, has just been on fire for it seems like a year now and just hasn't slowed down at all. I think he's he's on just like a remarkable run. I do agree with you. It's been a really good year for Christian Yelich, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Milwaukee Brewers going forward in their last series against the Chicago Cubs. They were able to take two of three in that one, and this looks like a team that is getting on the right track. We mentioned Christian Yelich and how good he's been doing, but he's actually backed up by some good hitters as well. I know that he has Monty Grandall the past couple weeks, Hasn't necessarily been the same guy he was at the beginning of the year, but Mike Moustakis has over 25 home runs. He's been a good contributor. You're getting something out of guys like Eric Thames, Ryan Braun. I think that this is a team that I'm not sure if they're going to be able to win the NL Central or not. It's a very even race between they, the St. Louis Cardinals, and obviously the Chicago Cubs, but I think they're putting themselves in a good position to be able to contend for a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, I think that race in that division is always, the last few years, it's just always felt like it's, one of the best to watch. And I'm really looking at the Brewers to see what kind of moves they make here at the deadline. You know, they, they certainly need some pitching help in their rotation. And if they go out there and make a big deal, I feel like that could be the thing that sets them apart from a couple of these teams. The Cardinals are ahead right now, but the Cardinals, you know, I feel like two weeks ago, they were just 500. And they're just so, like, up and down. And the, the Cubs are haven't been as up and down as, as St. Louis, but they're also kind of up and down. And Milwaukee, I feel like, has been... Pretty consistent considering the fact that they don't really have, you know, a super strong pitching staff. So if they're the team that goes out and gets, you know, one of the frontline starters, I think that could really differentiate them in that division. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly agree with you there, as we do have Mike Oz joining me right here on the podcast. And one thing that does have me concerned about the Chicago Cubs is the fact that they are just such a different team home to road. I think you've noticed this, but the Cubs entering this week are about 10 games below 500 whenever they're on the road. But at home, they've been winning two-thirds of their games. It's just so wildly inconsistent. Is that something that you look at as being a little bit of an issue for a team? Because typically, when you take a look at a team that you want to make the postseason, you want to be right around 500 on the road, maybe a couple games below it. But I just think that it's so stark, the difference between this team at home and on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's got to be pretty concerning and, and you know you look at the Cubs and at times they've been really good this year like I said and at times you're like who are these guys and I wonder how much the home road stuff has to do with actual you know the idea of being at home being on the road 
or how much of it is just that they've kind of have this two-faced thing going on this season and, you know, struggle through some injuries, obviously, especially on the pitching side. I think that they have the potential. I mean, we know that there's a ton of talent in that lineup when you start talking about Bobby Baez and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and, you know, Kyle Schwarber. They have the makings of a good team. But but again, like, I think everybody in that division, that's what makes it really interesting is that there is no Astros or there, there is no you know, Yankees in the sense of a team that looks like they're markedly better than everybody else. I think all of these teams are, are kind of flawed and they all sort of have their issues. And I think that's what's going to make it interesting. I do think it's so interesting that things are so tightly knit in the NL Central, but I do think that we can agree there is one team that is right now head and shoulders above the rise out there in the National League, and it is the LA Dodgers. I know that you're out there in the state of California, so you get to see these guys on a pretty regular basis. They have come back to earth a little bit with regards to how they've been playing at home. I remember before the All-Star break, they dropped three to the Padres. They wind up losing that series to the LA Angels. But all in all, you've got such a good pitching staff, guys like Clayton Kershaw, Walker Beeler, Hunjin Ryu has been on another level this year. Is it fair to say that if the Dodgers don't make the World Series, it would be a little bit of a disappointment because that's the way that I see it in my book? Yeah, I think that. And I think, honestly, you know, anytime they don't win the World Series at this point, it is a disappointment. That's really the only thing that they have to play for, right? They just have this monkey on their back when it comes to the World Series the last couple of years. And I think that division championship is good. NL pennant is good, but... If they don't win the World Series, that's all that anyone's going to be talking about. And I will say that, you know, having watched the last two Dodgers teams, I feel like that this team, out of the three of them, is the one that it looks like they have the best chance to do it. I mean, you mentioned the pitching and think, you know, the fact that we're not talking that much about how good is Clayton Kershaw or, you know, is he aging? You know, we're not talking about any of that stuff because the other guys have been so good and you know, it's kind of made Kershaw fine being a number two, number three type guy where he doesn't have to carry the load of the team, which is, you know, largely what it's been for the past five, six years, it seems like. With Ryu, with Bueller, I think that, you know, they're going to potentially go into, you know, the postseason and the postseason series with the best shape they've been in in terms of pitching if everybody's healthy. Their bullpen obviously need some help but if we're just looking at starters you know i don't think it's going to be that those dodgers teams that we've seen in the past where it's like okay kershaw pitches what are we going to do the next couple games until we get kershaw back and i, I think the, this dodgers team looks like it's not going to have those problems and then when you have the offense as good as the offense has been they, they i think are head and shoulders above anybody in baseball right now and i think that you know again if they don't win the world series it's, it's going to be a disappointment I do have to agree with you there, as we do have Mike Oz joining me right here on the podcast. It's tremendous work for Yahoo Sports. He is also the host of Old Baseball Cards, and he's joining me right now. And the other team out there in the division that is looking to possibly separate itself for a wild card bid, and I'm not talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks, ironically enough. I'm talking about the San Francisco Giants. This is a team that around this time last month was not looking very good, but ever since then, the San Francisco Giants, over the past three days, has won about 75 to 80% of their games. It's absolutely insane, the run that this team has gone on. It's been a variety of different things. You take a look at the first couple games of this run, they were really belting out the runs. The last few games recently, they've just been doing it with great pitching. What do you attribute this run for the San Francisco Giants to? Because it feels like one day they're scoring 10 runs, the next day they're sc- they're winning like a 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two game. They're just doing it in a variety of different ways, and they just keep churning out the wins, and they just keep moving up the playoff standings. Yeah, I think for them, it's just about 
hitting the ball. I specifically remember going to one game when they were just in the thick of being bad and I was like, these guys, they're not hitting the ball hard. They just, it seems like the, the offense was just like non-existent. You know, you could just tell when teams are just flat and kind of don't have it. And they were just screaming that to me. And, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, they're hitting, whether it's Pablo Sandoval getting the clutch hit like we've seen from him. You know, I think, was that Friday night? Or they all love what Alex Dickerson has brought, you know, in his short time with them. They're a team that's depending on a lot of guys who, this has been like this, I think, for the last few years. They're depending on a lot of, like, unproven guys to kind of be their, their outfielders. And they're kind of hoping that, you know, they're going to find somebody who can all of a sudden turn into a guy who can hit 20 or 25 home runs because this team just doesn't have a ton of pop in that category. You know, they haven't had a great home run hitter since Bonds was gone, basically. And I think that, you know, what I've seen from them in the last month or so is just that they're hitting the ball better. I struggle to see this Giants team as a team that, that really is going to make a run. There's a difference between sort of getting hot for a month, which we see that all the time in, in April where a team like the Mariners, you know, did what they did this year or Rockies a couple of years ago come to mind. Like it, it happens. But I struggle to see this Giants team as a team that's actually going to make the playoffs, especially when you consider, you know, how good we already talked about some of these NL Central teams are. We haven't talked about the NL East yet, but there's some good teams over there, obviously. I respect what the Giants have been able to do, but I just can't see it happening in like a prolonged basis. I do think it's going to be difficult. And you do bring up the NL East, and I think that that's really fascinating to see what the Atlanta Braves have done because ever since the beginning of the month of June, They've scored the most runs out there in the big leagues. This is a team that they're getting up from a little bit of everything. They bring up Austin Riley. He winds up belting out like 16 to 17 home runs in a couple months span. He's been terrific in that regard. You've got Freddie Freeman doing what he's doing. Ronald Acuna Jr., one of the best leadoff men out there in the big leagues. And with the Atlanta Braves going under the radar, is the fact that their bullpen has been pretty good as well. Now they need to get some of their starters going. Max Freed has really regressed a little bit. Kevin Gosman. He was on the injured list for quite a while on Sunday. He certainly did not look good. But all in all, I do think that the Atlanta Braves certainly do have the goods to not just be a team that is going to be able to win the NL East, but could perhaps be the best competitor to the Dodgers out there in the National League. I tend to agree with you, barring one of these NL Central teams really getting it together and making a big run. But I love the Braves lineup. I mean, you mentioned a lot of their their great hitters. But you know, just they have that look of almost like a – Astros type lineup where top to bottom you just have guys that can hit the pitching again. You know, I think this is a common theme with a lot of a lot of teams right now, and that's why it's going to be so interesting to see what happens in the next few days with the trade deadline coming up. But I think they could really use a starter, and Dallas Keuchel is I think has helped. He hasn't been amazing lights out or anything like that, but he, he certainly helps. But I still think they need some reinforcements, and the position that they're in, you know, I think they were hoping that a lot of the guys they had. Last year, who kind of had breakout seasons, you know, we're talking about Sean Newcomb and Mike Fultonevich would sort of, that would be who they became, but it doesn't look like it is, you know, or Gossman, you know, who they brought in a trade last year. They're kind of hoping that he would be, you know, somebody who could contribute in the long term. I don't see that right now for, for these Braves guys. So I think it would behoove them to go out and try to get like a Matthew Boyd or one of these guys who's getting talked about in trade talks who has a few years left and is not just, you know, a Madison Bumgarner type rental because I think the Braves are going to be good for the foreseeable future. And, and what they need is, you know, they need one of those pitchers. You know, maybe I mean they chase Bumgarner in free agency, but, you know, right now they need some kind of help. I do agree with you as we do have Mike Oz joining me on the podcast. They certainly need some help. And 
I think there are so many teams that need some help as well. And I think that the Houston Astros have a chance to be the favorites for the World Series with all that they've got coming back. Carlos Correa comes back in that series against the St. Louis Cardinals on Saturday. He hits that big grand slam. You can tell that this is just a completely Houston as this is just a completely different Houston Astros lineup with him back in the fold. You also had George Springer and Jose Altuve out for quite a while. Those guys make some big contributions as well. But you just feel like the Astros do need that extra pitcher or two. I think that they had Regiello Amaranteros making a start a few weeks ago. That's obviously not ideal for this team. I will say Wade Miley has stepped up as a decent number three, but pass Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, you're just not getting a lot out of these guys. If the Astros just get that one starter, I don't know about you, but I feel like they might be the best team out there in the entire league. Yeah, I think they're the, probably the clearest case of the team that's pretty solid. They just need that one piece. You know, I think that's what they're after. And I think, again, like I was talking about with the Braves, it behooves them to probably find somebody that can stick around for more than a year. You know, they potentially have, they're going to have the opportunity to resign Garrett Cole. And, you know, it seems like that relationship has gone pretty well for them so far, but they've been connected to other people out there. So I think they're a team that I can't imagine them not making a move. Really just depends on how big of a move are you going to make? Are you going to go after a big guy who can help you for the next couple of years and kind of provide some insurance policy if you don't resign Garrett Cole? Or are you going to just sort of patchwork the thing and try to find somebody who can help you? right now but i think you know like you said that i think they have the potential to be better than everybody else in the american league if, if they can just sort of get that going and from my perspective when they lost lance mccullers i think that was a big thing for them because he you know in theory could have been that guy and i think they were maybe hoping that one of these young guys might step up and help um, you know or, or we might get forrest whitley who's you know one of their top pitching prospects and i don't think any of that stuff has really materialized yet so it, it seems like they kind of need to go out and make that move I do agree with you, as we do have Mike Goss joining me right here on the podcast. And Mike, who's a player or two you think that down the stretch could be able to make a big contribution in a playoff run? I just take a look at some of these teams, and it is so interesting because you're noticing like Yuri Gurriel has really heated up recently for the Houston Astros. We all talk about Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, all those guys coming back. But Yuri Gurriel, over I would say the past month, month and a half, has been one of the hottest players out there in baseball. I really love what he's showing. Shane Bieber has been doing a terrific job of pitching for the Cleveland Indians. They've certainly needed him. Or a couple guys that are on your radar that you think that down the stretch could really have some big performances and could be able to play a team perhaps into a divisional spot instead of a wild card spot or just into the playoffs in general. You know, I was actually thinking about him a lot last week. We talked a lot about the Astros, but Jordan Alvarez has just been oh, agreed. killing it for them too, you know, and, and like, he's a guy who I feel like, he just seems like he smashes the ball. So, I'm really intrigued by him. I continue just to gush about Christian Yelich, so maybe that's too easy of an answer. But, you know, he's a guy that I think just continues to press all the time. And I'm another guy that I just wholeheartedly just love to watch plays. Ronald Acuna Jr., Bobby Baez. I think I think those are the guys who I'm, I'm most excited to see, you know, what they can do when these races get going. Because they're, I think, just really, really, you know, exciting players. And I think this is the... The type of moments now where, you know, they are kind of the, the guys on the forefront and, you know, I want to see what they can do, you know, in these big moments. No disagreement from me, especially with Javi Baez and just the way they run the bases in general. It's something I feel like is so lost in baseball because we don't really look at base running. We don't really look at being able to advance base runners or everything like that. We look at it being either a walk, strikeout or home run. 
And with Javi Baez, he's just so much fun to be able to watch on the bases. It's something that I wish we had a little bit more in baseball. Yeah, he, I think, is what you want in terms of, you know, the, the way we talk about trying to, like, I don't know, market the players and kind of bring some of the, you know, the more excitement to the game. Like, he's that guy. You know, people that say, like, baseball's boring or baseball players aren't athletes or whatever it is. Like, go watch Javi Baez play. Like, Javi Baez is, is a super, super watchable player. Like, he is entertaining and in basically everything that he does. But I say the same thing about Acuna. You know, I think maybe Acuna is not as, he doesn't have sort of like the flash when it comes to like the tags and the slides as much as like Baez does. But I mean, still also very, very entertaining to watch. So I'm really intrigued to see those guys. You have now another year of, of you know, kind of people knowing who they are and establish their name as, as some of the better players in the game. I think it's just going to be fun to watch that moving forward. I agree with you. And then another guy out there in your neck of the woods as well, Fernando Tatis Jr. is a guy that I've been raving about on this podcast as well. I absolutely love the way that he plays the game. The Padres obviously have not been playing the best of baseball ever since the All-Star break. They played their way out of a playoff spot. But I do think that the future is very bright for the Padres. And I really want to see Fernando Tatis Jr. moving forward. This is a guy with power. He steals bases, does a terrific job of getting on base, and he's great out there in the field as well. This is a guy that I think has a very, very bright future. Yeah, no no disagreement here. I think he is sort of, you know, Javi Baez-esque in that, in that sense of when we're talking about somebody who's just very entertaining to watch in, in all aspects of the game, whether it's the, the hitting, the running, the defense. Like, he's just one of those guys who I think seems to have that present. Your eyes are drawn to him. And as much as he's a good baseball player, he's also an entertainer. And I think, you know, those are the kind of guys that baseball needs to showcase more and baseball fans need to embrace more. Even if he's not on your team, you know, I think you need to understand that, like, the Andrew Tis Jr., the Javi Baez, like, all those guys are, you know, the next generation of this game. Absolutely agree. And Mike, I would like to close it up with this. I know that you're doing tremendous work out there with Yahoo Sports. You've got your show, Old Baseball Cards. You're doing a lot of things out there. You're on Twitter at Mike OZ. Let the good people know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. At Mike Oz, Twitter, Instagram. Also just Mike Oz on Facebook. We just put out Old Baseball Cards this past week with Pete Alonzo, which is a was a pretty fun episode. Shot it right after the home run derby, or you know, in the weeks after. So we talked a little bit about the home run derby, and then some other interesting players we found in our packs, and some good stories in there. So if you're looking for one, go check that out. You can find it on Yahoo Sports. You can find it on YouTube. Old baseball cards with Pete Alonso. It's a, it's a good one. That's terrific. A big thanks to Mike Oz for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and a little something I like to call. Touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zunitiki Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Nope, that any changes to today's play is going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at one. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. A lot of these games are off the board. It is a trade deadline, so there's a lot of speculation as who's going to be starting and everything like that. So it might be a little bit messier than normal. So always do reference at squared one the Twitter handle for everything that is locked in, any changes and everything like that. And we're going to be going, as always, in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 901-902. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to be playing OC San Francisco Giants. Tyler Beatty goes for the Giants. Drew Smiley for the Phillies. Your total on this game is 10. Over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Phillies, going to be laying minus 125 across the board. Plus price with the Giants is plus 115. And I have absolutely no idea why Drew Smiley is a favorite in this spot. If you look at the most profitable pitchers out there in Major League Baseball, if you've bet $100 on every one of Tyler Beatty's 11 starts so far this year, you're up $879, according to Odd Shark. The only pitcher more profitable, Andrew Kasher. So that has certainly been going well. Drew Smiley actually had a very good first start for the Philadelphia Phillies, by the way. He wound up going six innings in that one, giving up one run. But you take a look at what he did with the Texas Rangers. Not good. He wound up having an ERA north of eight in his starts. He was giving up right around three home runs per nine innings. He was walking the world. It's just not a situation that was very good to say the least. And the San Francisco Giants, they don't have a lot of guys that are just ripping the cover off the ball or anything like that, but they're just getting a bunch of guys that are doing a very good job of being able to move the line, get everything going. The additions in the outfield have been good. Mikey Stremski, Alex Dickerson, Austin Slater, all these guys have really stepped up. They've all got their batting averages above a 260. They're doing a good job of being able to get on base. Pablo Sandoval, double-digit amount of home runs for him. He's hitting right around a 265. Brandon Crawford, Kevin Pillar, guys like this have been upping their betting averages. Buster Posey is now seeing a couple more at-bats as well. He's hitting a 265. Evan Longoria has been out of the fold, and he's actually their top home run hitter. But Donovan Solano at the top of the lineup, hitting a 335 as well. This is a Giants team that just continues to find a way, and they really are anchored by their bullpen. It is a top eight bullpen in regards to ERA in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies won the bottom 10 bullpens in regards to ERA out there in the bigs. And you're going to be having to get this offense going as well as they were able to do a very good job on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves. But all in all, you take a look at the Phillies ever since the All-Star break. Two-thirds of their games, they've scored four runs or fewer. You do have Scott Kingery, Gene Segura, and Cesar Hernandez all hitting right around a 275 to a 281. So they have been doing a little bit of something, but then you got the guys that need to pick it up. Nick Williams and Roman Quinn are both hitting a 160 or lower. That is just hellaciously bad. Mikel Franco's hitting a 232. I will say that Hazeli out there in the outfield has been good. He's hitting a 260. And then you got Reese Hoskins, JT Riamuto, and Bryce Harper all in between a 254 and a 267. In the case of Hoskins, he's got 22 home runs, Bryce Harper 18, but Bryce Harper strikes out a lot as well. I just think that this is a spot where the San Francisco Giants are going to be able to get a good start out of Taylor Beatty. And I think that Drew Smiley reverts to being Drew Smiley in the San Francisco Giants bullpen is able to keep this one lower scoring. So for that reason, we are going to be riding with the plus price of the San Francisco Giants and the total under. Currently waiting C mode to see if this total moves a little bit more, try to get a little bit more of a favorable number there. And I'm right now seeing steam coming in on the Philadelphia Phillies. 
Not sure how or why, but I'll continue to take it. 903-904 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals are going to be playing off the Atlanta Braves. Julio Tadon goes for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, Eric Fetty goes for the Washington Nationals. This game is off the board because we had some undecided starters at the start of the day. And with that said, I am going to be all aboard the Atlanta Braves as long as the number is somewhat reasonable. You take a look at what Julio Tehran has done so far this year. 5-7 and seven record, and he's certainly been much better than that. 342 ERA. This is a man that ever since the beginning of May has given up more than two earned runs in two starts. He had two bad starts late in June in which he gave up a combined 13 runs in eight innings and two starts. But past that, the man has been absolutely magnificent. I just have absolutely no idea how or why he's not getting the wins. And you take a look at Eric Fetty. He's been pretty good for the Washington Nationals. There is one big thing with Eric Fetty, though. It's the fact that he really doesn't go deep in games. He has really not exceeded six innings in any of his starts so far this year. He is a guy that really keeps things out in front of him. 340 ERA. He really hasn't had a blow-up start so far this year, giving up a little bit more than one home run per nine innings. Walks are an issue, though. He is giving up just around four walks per nine innings, maybe a little bit less than that. But all in all, he has been issuing those free passes. And for the Atlanta Braves, you certainly do have a lineup capable of being able to do some damage. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman are two gentlemen that have 25 home runs so far this year. In the case of both, they're in between a 294 and a 305. You've got Josh Donaldson, who has been picking it up as well. He's got 23 home runs. His batting average hovers right around a 255. Adam Duvall has been called up from the minor leagues, and he's been delivering something for this team. Austin Riley now hitting below a 250, but he's got 16 home runs as well. Yuan Camargo and Ender Enciarte ever since coming off the injured list have looked solid. Ozzy Albies is hitting at 285. You are dealing with an injury to Nick Marcakis, but Trey Flowers and Brian Mechanic, the catcher spot, both have been good. And for the Washington Nationals, Jan Gomes not getting the job done at the catcher position. He's hitting right around a 215. You've got Victor Robles, Brian Dozier, and Matt Adams hitting between a 235 and a 246. Howie Kendrick is hitting above a 300, though. He is a big addition to this lineup. Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon both have their on-base percentage right around a 400. In the case of Soto, he's hitting just above a 280, 18 home runs for him. And then for Anthony Rendon, he has went deep 22 times, 315 batting average. Adam Eaton and Trey Turner at the top lineup, both hitting between a 285 and a 290 as well. So you do like what you're seeing there. But with Mr. Tehran, he is backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big league's top six bullpen in regards to ERA for the Atlanta Braves. And with the Washington Nationals, it has been improved. The bullpen has been the past month and a half, but it still certainly does have its leaks. So for that reason, early leans on this game are to the Atlanta Braves and an under. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORDY1 for set plays there. 905-906 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Tanner Roar goes for the Reds. Meanwhile, Joe Musgrove for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 9.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Buccos, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 111 and plus 118. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Cincinnati Reds, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 128. And this is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that is really struggling. Ever since the All-Star break, they are 2-15. Things just have not gone right for them. 
Joe Musgrove has been up and down all year long. Meanwhile, with Dan O'Rourke, I actually like what I've seen out of him. He's giving up a little bit over a home run per nine innings in the month of July. Things have not necessarily been ideal. His first two starts, he winds up giving up a combined 11 runs, but he's gotten things straightened out ever since then. He won a combined 10 innings in his last two starts, giving up two runs in each of those starts. And you take a look at the month of June. In his last three starts in the month of June, a combined 18 and a third innings, giving up four runs there. So Tanner Rorick certainly has been putting things together. Meanwhile, with Joe Musgrove does a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Right around 1.15 home runs per nine innings is what he's given up. But in his last start against the St. Louis Cardinals, that was not very good. He gives up five runs to five innings. Start before that against the Phillies, he actually looks terrific. Zero runs in six innings, but then he faces the Cardinals again. He gives up four runs in four and two-thirds innings there. This is a guy that has just been very, very up and down, to say the least. And I will say the Cincinnati Reds are playing over 60% of their games to the under. So they certainly have been doing a very good job of being able to keep things out in front of them. And with the Cincinnati Reds, you've got a bunch of guys that are starting to hit right now. They had a very good day against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday and their wholesale approach. You've got Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, Joey Votto, and Yasiel Puig all in between a 253 and a 263. In the case of Mr. Eugenio Suarez, he's got 28 home runs. And then for Yasiel Puig, He's won deep 22 times. Scooter Jeanette and Tucker Barnard are both struggling with their average, but it looks like Scooter Jeanette starting to get online after coming off the injured list. You've got Nick Senzel and Jose Iglesias both hitting between a 270 and a 280 as well. And then you're getting a little bit of unexpected contributions out of a pair of outfielders in Philip Irvin and Josh Van Meter. Both these guys hitting above a 320. Van Meter's been seeing some time the past few days, and he's really been taking advantage. Meanwhile, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you have a lot of guys that do a very good job of getting on base. Adam Frazier, Sterling Marte, and Josh Bell, all in between a 280 and a 290. You can throw in there Colin Moran as well, and in the case of Josh Bell, he has been supplying the boom. 27 home runs at 86 RBI, but that is really dried up for him. I will say Sterling Marte did get his 18th home run of the year yesterday, so that was obviously a help. You've got Jose Ozuna hitting a 270. Elias Diaz right around a 250. And then you've also got Kevin Newman, and Melky Cabrera hitting above a 300. Brian Reynolds is hitting a 325. So these guys have all been very good, but they just haven't necessarily been getting the deep ball recently. They've just been in a massive funk ever since the All-Star break. And with the Cincinnati Reds, ever since the All-Star break, their bullpen has not looked the same. But I do think that the Pittsburgh Pirates and the way that they've been playing is exactly what they need to get right. So for that reason, we are going to be taking the Cincinnati Reds in this spot and the total under. Right now, trying to see if I'm going to be playing the Reds on the money line or the run line. So I'm in Wayne C mode there. Depends on the plus price. And with this under right now in Wayne C mode to try to see if I can get a little bit more favorable juice. 907-908 on the bank rotation. The Chicago Cubs hit the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Adam Wainwright goes for the cards. You Darvish for the Chicago Cubs. Your total on this game is 9. Under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Cubs, you are going to be laying anywhere between minus 109 and minus 110. If you like the St. Louis Cardinals, getting anywhere between even money or laying minus 105. And this is just a situation where I have to trust in the St. Louis Cardinals. You take a look at Adam Rainwright. He's actually been playing a lot of his games to the under. I'm not sure how and I'm not sure why. He's been a little bit up and down, but you take a look at the last start he had against the Chicago Cubs when he was at home. That was a eight-inning appearance in which he did not give up a single run. Recently, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. In the month of July, he's had two starts where he's given up two runs or fewer. In his last two starts, so he combined 11 runs in eight and a third innings, but one of those was sadly a win against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So. so that's been interesting, but something else that is interesting, of all nine games between the Cardinals and the Cubs this year, 
The home team has won all nine of them, and for the Chicago Cubs, they're not the same team away from Wrigley Field as they are at home. They've got a 66.6% win percentage at home. Meanwhile, on the road this year, they are 20-31, and and you Darvish, 1-5 in his last six road starts. He's a gentleman that is giving up four walks per nine innings. He has actually looked a little bit better since the All-Star break, but those have mostly been home starts, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, before they wound up losing two straight to the Houston Astros and how hot they are, they had won nine out of their last ten, and for the Cardinals, they're really starting to get something out of Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt has heated up in a big way. His batting average is now a 255. He has went deep 24 times for this team. Paul DeYoung also being able to supply a little bit of boom. His batting average right around a 255 as well. 18 dingers for him. Tyler O'Neill and Jose Martinez in the outfield. Both hitting between a 275 and a 285. Matt Wieters is only getting a 235. And Harrison Bader continues to be a hot mess. He's hitting a buck 95. But Colton Wong has his batting average right around a 260. You are starting to get something out of Dexter Feller as well. He's hitting a 258 up pinch hit home run on Sunday, and Taylor Edmond at the top of the lineup, hitting a 260 himself. Then when you take a look at the Chicago Cubs, you just have a bunch of guys in the middle of the lineup that have really been able to produce. These guys all have between 19 and 25 home runs and are all hitting between a 280 and a 295. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras. They are all getting the job done. They have all been very consistent. Jason Hayward has right around 15 to 16 home runs himself. His batting average is right around a 275. Ian Happ is now off the injured list. He wound up not doing a whole lot in the team series against the Milwaukee Brewers, but ironically enough, on Sunday, he wound up drawing three walks, so that certainly is valuable. Kyle Schwarber had a big game on Sunday against the Brewers with seven RBI, only hitting 228 for the year, but he's also supplied 24 home runs. Victor Carantini, whenever they need him, hitting just above 270 himself. Robel Garcia has been doing a decent job in the infield as well, so you do have a lot of weapons for the Chicago Cubs, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. They rank in the top seven in regards to bullpen ERA. The Cubs, ironically, are 10th, but the Cubs certainly had their bullpen struggles recently. They blew two games to the Brewers in that series as a result. And I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game, but I think the Cardinals are going to be able to pull it out. So for that reason, looking at the St. Louis Cardinals and the total under, currently Wayne Seymour on both of these, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice on that under, and trying to see if I'm able to get a plus price with the cards. We move on to 909-910 on the bank rotation. The Colorado Rockies are going to be playing OCLA Dodgers. The LA Dodgers have yet to decide a starting pitcher. Meanwhile, it is going to be Kyle Freeland going for the Colorado Rockies. This game presently off the board, and it looks like it's going to be for the LA Dodgers, according to ESPN, so this is subject to change. Tony Gonsolin, and if they are going with Tony Gonsolin, he's been averaging right around four innings per start out there at the AAA level. He's been okay at the AAA level. He's just giving them absolutely no length whatsoever. He was called up for a start earlier this year against the Arizona Diamondbacks. In that start, he wound up going four innings. He gave up four runs, including a home run. He didn't walk anyone, so I guess that was good. But you take a look at Kyle Freeland on the other side. This man has been just a human piñata. Two and eight. Seven ERA. He's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings. This is the man that had the best F5 record out there in baseball last year. This year, it just has not come to fruition. You take a look at what he's done. He has given up three or more earned runs in all but one of his starts ever since April 2nd. That is absolutely stunning. Now, I will say that one start was, ironically enough, his last start against the Washington Nationals. So, I guess that's encouraging, but... Man, 
It has been bad for them this year. And you have to face the LA Dodgers, who are just locked, loaded, and ready for bear with their lineup in a ball in Coors Field, which has just been flying all over the place. You've got Jock Peterson, 240 batting average, 23 home runs, Max Muncy, 26 stingers, he's hitting a 265. Cody Bellinger, 79 RBI, 34 home runs, 327 batting average. Corey Seager's out hitting above a 275. Alex Verdugo, Along with Justin Turner are both hitting between a 290 and a 295. AJ Pollock, ever since coming off the injured list, has been doing something. Will Smith is getting jiggy with it in his couple of at-bats. He's getting a home run every eight at-bats going into Monday, along with a batting average above 300 as well. And then you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that certainly is able to supply some power. Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story both have 22 home runs. With Nolan Arenado, he's in a 302. You had... Charlie Blackman out of the lineup yesterday, but he's got over 20 home runs. He's batting above a 300. David Dahl's hitting above a 300. Trevor Story, by the way, 13 stolen bases himself, 285 batting average. Daniel Murphy's hitting a 288. Ryan McMahon and Ian Desmond, both hitting between a 260 and a 270. Hitting between a 275 and a 280 is Tony Walters and Remy Tapia as well. So you've got some very solid pieces there. But with the Colorado Rockies, they've got the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues ever since the last 30 days began. So in the month of July, things have not been going well for that bullpen, the LA Dodgers. The bullpen has not necessarily been great, and Gonsolin probably going to give up a lot of runs. So if we're seeing a total of like 13, I'm probably going to be taking it over. And I do have a little bit more faith in the Dodgers lineup than the Rockies. So early leans are to the Dodgers and the Rockies, but we need to verify the starters for one and two. We need a line. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare. one for set plays there. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation. The Cleveland Indians play OC Houston Astros. Shane Bieber fever goes for the Cleveland Indians. Justin Verlander for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 119 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Cleveland Indians, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. These are a pair of gentlemen that have been very, very good this year. I will say this about each of them, though. They certainly do have their problem giving up the long ball. Justin Verlander is giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings. Shane Bieber, more around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. And both these men have been very good. I will say that Justin Verlander was giving up right around three runs per game in every one of his starts in June, but ever since July began, that has really dried up. Shane Bieber has had one bad start in July. He wound up giving up five runs in five and two-thirds innings against the Kansas City Royals, but he followed that up with a complete game shutout of the Toronto Blue Jays. He's had a couple of those so far this year. And for Shane Bieber, ever since June began, he has given up two earned runs or fewer in six out of his ten starts. So all in all, things are going very well for him. He's backed up by the number one bullpen out there in the big leagues and the Houston Astros. They've had their bullpen inefficiency so far this year, but they've been doing a very good job themselves. Top eight bullpen in regards to ERA as well. And with the Cleveland Indians, they played each of their last three games to the over, and you can tell that the bats are really starting to get going right now. Carlos Santana has 22 home runs. He's hitting a 282. Oscar Mercado and Francisco Lindor, both in between a 295 and a 305. And in the case of Francisco Lindor, he has one deep 18 times. Roberto Perez is seeing a little bit of a dip in his batting average to 236, but he still has 16 home runs. Kevin Pilecki, the backup catcher, Certainly is not doing much. Then you've got Gregory Allen and Jake Bowers both hitting between a 227 and a 237. But Mike Freeman hitting right around a 260 along with Jordan Luplo and Jose Ramirez 
who has been just absolutely awful this year, has seen a big uptick in his average. He's now hitting a 245. He had his 14th home run of the year on Sunday. Jason Kipnis also hitting right around a 245 to a 250 as well. So both these guys seeing a nice come up. And with the Houston Astros, they are now fully healthy and they are scary. Yuri Gurriel has been on a tear the past month. 300 batting average, 20 home runs, 65 RBI. Michael Brantley is hitting a 325. He's been able to supply some boom with 16 home runs. You've got Alex Bregman going deep 26 times. 260 is his batting average. Carlos Correa on Saturday was able to hit a grand slam. He is a big contribution to this Houston Astros lineup. George Springer hitting a little bit below a 300. He's got 24 home runs. He's certainly been doing his part. Jose Altuve now hitting a 293. He's went deep 16 times. Elias Diaz a little bit under the radar. He is back in the fold as well. Jordan Alvarez is getting a home run every 11 or 12 at-bats. He's hitting a 333. Robinson Torinos and Max Sassy letting the team down at the catcher spot a little bit, but with all these pieces, it makes Houston very fearsome. But I do think that Shane Bieber is going to be able to give a good start, and I think that Justin Verlander is going to be able to match him as well. I think this comes down to the bullpen and giving up the long ball, and I think that Justin Verlander gives up just one more home run than Jay Bieber. I think that's going to be the difference in a low-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the Indians and the total under. With the under, I'm in wait and see to see if this gets to 9. If not, I'll just take the unjuice 8.5. And, and with the Indians, waiting to see if a little bit of steam comes in on the Houston Astros. 9-13, 9-14 on the bank rotation. The Boston Red Sox play host to the Tampa Bay Rays. Charlie Morton goes for the Rays. David Price for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game is 9. The over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. Your plus price with the Rays is anywhere between plus 113 and plus 120. And we've seen David Price certainly have his struggles in his last couple of starts. Charlie Morton, meanwhile, he's been a little bit up and down since the middle of June, but he has still been very rock solid for this team. As of right now, ESPN is currently listing this as undecided, so you want to be checking these pitching matchups just a little bit ahead of time because we are seeing a whole lot of transition with a lot of these starters and everything like that. But if it is Charlie Morton, which is right now what I'm showing on the Vegas betting board, he has a 12-3 and record, 260 ERA. He's getting over 12 strikeouts per nine innings. He had one bad start in the month of July. He wound up giving up five runs in five and two-thirds innings against the New York Yankees. But his last start, wrongly enough, against the Boston Red Sox, he winds up getting 11 strikeouts, gives up two runs in seven innings. He was able to get the win there. And you take a look at this guy. For the year, he's got two starts in which he's given up more than three earned runs. So he certainly has been doing a very solid job there. And then when you take a look at David Price, he has had a pretty good year himself. 7-4 record, 366 ERA. He's giving up one home run per nine innings. But the problem with David Price is his last two starts have been awful. A combined 10 innings between his starts against the Rays and the Baltimore Orioles. Combined nine runs there. So that has not necessarily been ideal. He's getting a lot of swings and misses right now. And in the month of June, it was pretty good. He gave up two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts. That was a complete blow-up start against the Texas Rangers. But all in all, things have been going well there. And with the Boston Red Sox, they are really on a power terror. You take a look at what they were able to do against the New York Yankees in that series. Well, they really had the bats going, but against the Tampa Bay Rays, the bats were a little bit more quiet, so I do think that that's going to be an interesting blend, but Mookie Betts is proving that he is one of the bets around. Hopefully you enjoyed that joke, but he's setting a 285, 18 home runs for him. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, both guys are hitting above a 315. In the case of Bogarts, 23 home runs, and Rafael Devers, well, he has went deep 21 times. J.D. Dave, J.D. Martinez has been supplying the boom as well, 22 home runs. He's hitting a 293, and 
Andrew Benintendi has his average up to a 283. Michael Chavis, 260 batting average, double-digit amount of home runs for him. Even the guys that are leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Sandy Leon, Scott Travis, and Jackie Bradley Jr., they're all seeing a little bit of a come-up with their batting average. Mitch Moreland is now off the injured list as well. Before going on the injured list, he was supplying a lot of power. Christian Vasquez hitting a 285 himself, and Brock Holt a 331. Then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. You have been dealing with a couple of injuries with this team, especially to Brandon Lowe, but Tommy Pham is doing his part. 275 average, 16 home runs for him. Austin Meadows, 13 home runs for him. He's hitting just above a 285. You've got RV Sale Garcia, who's also hitting right in that realm of a 275. He's been able to supply some power as well. And then you've just got a bunch of guys that have between 13 and 16 home runs, as I was describing a little bit earlier. G-Man Joy has been picking it up as well. He's got a 260 batting average. William Adamas, 237 is his batting average, but he's now got 12 home runs. Guillermo Reddy is only getting a 240, and Joey Wendell hitting just above the Mendoza line, which is 200. But then you've got Matt Duffy and Nathaniel Lowe, two unexpected Sources of batting average, these guys, along with Mark Brasale, only between a 285 and a 301. So they certainly have been doing their part. I just think that the wholesale approach of the Tampa Bay Rays is going to be able to win out in this one. I have locked in the Tampa Bay Rays with Charlie Morton as the starter. If it is going to be a different pitcher, I would have to reevaluate things a little bit. But I've already locked in the Rays as a play and the total under. With the under, I'm in Wayne C mode there, trying to see if I'm able to get a 9.5, which is actually where the total opens. So in Wayne C mode there, but I've already locked in the Tampa Bay Rays. 9-15, 9-16 on the bang rotation. The Texas Rangers playoffs to the Seattle Mariners. Mike Leake goes for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Ariel Gerardo for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game is 11. Over Zeus of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Rangers, going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. Your plus price with the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. And this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners have not necessarily been providing as much offense recently, but we have noticed in recent weeks, their bullpen, along with that of the Texas Rangers, actually has been a little bit improved. And for the Seattle Mariners, Mike Leake has been certainly up and down so far this year. He has given up 25 home runs. That is one of the highest marks out there in the American League. But over his last four starts, He's went seven innings or more in three of them, and he's given up three earned runs or fewer in those starts that he's went at least seven innings. He had one blow-up start against the Angels. That was their combined no-hitter in which he gave up four runs. He only got two outs in the game. That was obviously one that you want to stick into a time capsule, bury, and never dig back up. But Ariel Gerardo, he's had an entire stretch of that as for Mr. Gerardo, and his last start, it actually was pretty good. Oakland Against the Oakland A's, seven innings pitch, he gives up three runs. But in the previous three starts in which he went at least four innings, he gave up either five or six earned runs in every one of them. You even date it back to June. In two out of his last three starts in the month of June, he gave up at least four earned runs. In those three starts, he combined 11 runs over the course of 16 innings. So he certainly has been letting up a lot recently. And for the Seattle Mariners, you still do have some nice boppers in the lineup. Domingo Santana, 275 batting average, 20 home runs, 66 RBI. Daniel Vogelback, only getting a 235, but his on-base percentage nearly 100 points higher. He's got 25 home runs. Omar Navarez, 297 batting average, 16 home runs for him. He and Thomas Murphy combined for the third most home runs of any catcher duo out there in the big leagues with the Seattle Mariners. You also have Malik Smith hitting right around at 240. He's done a nice job of being able to get on base. You have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with their batting average. Dylan Moore, Kyle Seager, Mac Williamson, and Christopher Nagarin, which Christopher Nagarin, by the way, just moved to the LA Dodgers, so we don't have to worry about his batting average, but all these guys were hitting a 
220 or lower, as it's always nice to find out about a trade right when you're doing the podcast, but that settles that. Austin Nola hitting a 313 in limited opportunities, though, as well, so you have to like that. Tim Beckham has been hitting a 240, but at the very least, he's not committing an error game like he was at the beginning of the year. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo is currently out of the fold, so they've been relying a little bit more on Rudin Odor. He, Jeff Mathis, Tim Fedorowicz, and Azurbo Cabrera do need to pick up their batting averages. All these guys hitting a 240 or lower, and everyone except for Azurbo Cabrera really hitting a 200 or lower, so it's been a little bit shocking there, but with Odor, he's got nearly 60 RBI. You've got Willie Calhoun and Sinchu Chu, both hitting between a 280 and a 285, and in the case of Chu, he's got 17 home runs. Danny Santana's actually been terrific for this team. 325 batting average. Logan Forsythe sitting right around a 250. Noah Mazzara, a 265, and then you've got to like the fact that Elvis Andrews continues to get on base. 285 batting average from him, and Delano DeShields Jr. has been a nice find. 255 batting average. He's certainly been a little bit better this year, but all in all, I do think that this is going to be a start in which Mike Leak is going to be able to go deep, and I think that he's going to be able to provide some good innings and allow Seattle to be able to win a little bit of a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, going with the plus price on the Mariners and the total under. Currently, Wayne Seam went on both of these, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice on each, but we're going to be riding up both of those. 917-918 on the bank rotation. It is the Kansas City Royals, and they're going to be playing those to the Toronto Blue Jays. Mike Montgomery is going to be going for the Kansas City Royals. Meanwhile, we've got good old to be determined with the Toronto Blue Jays because they wound up trading Marcus Stroman, which means that this total is currently off the board and the sides are also off the board. Mike Montgomery has made two starts for the Kansas City Royals. They haven't necessarily gone as planned. He actually looked good in his last start. Five innings pitch against the Cleveland Indians. He gave up one run. Start before that, he gives up five runs in two innings. So, a little bit of a mixed bag there. All in all for the year, he's got a 5.67 ERA between his starts and his relief appearances. Those were with the Chicago Cubs. This is a guy that throughout his career has an ERA north of 4.5 as a starter, though. He's not providing a lot of length. And with the Kansas City Royals, you do have a couple trustworthy relief guys in Jake Diekman and Ian Kennedy. Even Scott Barlow has not been too bad. But when you have to get into long relievers like Jorge Lopez and company, it doesn't necessarily go well. With the Toronto Blue Jays, jury is out on them. Their bullpen was looking better until they really gave up that big lead to the Tampa Bay Rays on Sunday. But with the Toronto Blue Jays, you are also getting quite a few guys that have been belting out home runs. The problem is not a lot of these guys have great batting averages. The exception to that, Lords Goriel. Lords Goriel hitting right around a 285, 19 home runs for him. You also do have to like the fact that Freddie Galvis has been able to provide quite a bit for the same 270 batting average. But you also notice both these guys weren't in the lineup yesterday because there is a lot of speculation. The only guy in yesterday's lineup for the Toronto Blue Jays that had a batting average above 230 was Vlad Guerrero Jr. I am not even kidding. I can't remember ever seeing that in a mid-July game where only one guy had a batting average above a 230. That says it all right there. The good news is Randall Gritchick, Justin Smoke, Rowdy Telez, Teoscar Hernandez, all these guys have between 14 and 18 home runs in the case of Justin Smoke. But I just explained it to you. They have nobody that's getting on base right now. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, at the very least, you have a couple guys that are doing a good job with their batting average. Bubba Starlin, Chesler Cuthbert, Hunter Dozier, Alex Gordon, all these guys hitting between a 285 and a 295. So they've been doing a solid job with Merrifield at the top lineup, hitting above a 300. You're still dealing with the injury to Adalberto Mondesi, but Jorge Soler doing a great job for this team. 28 home runs. He's hitting just below a 250. Then you do have some family bats with this team as well. Billy Hamilton. Cam Gallagher, Ian O'Hearn, Humberto Ortega, Lucas Duda, 
all these guys are hitting a 225 or lower, throwing their Chris Owings as well, just for good measure, but it's just one of these situations where I have to see who the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be trotting out there, but this is a situation where I'm probably going to be looking at this total over. I'm probably going to be leaning towards the Kansas City Royals. They've actually been playing some decent baseball ever since the All-Star break. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, seems like they're just looking to sell everything at this point. So early leans are to the Royals and a possible over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JuniorScorty1 since we have no earthly idea who the starting pitcher is going to be and what the line's going to be. 919-920 on the bank rotation. The LA Angels are going to be playing host of the Detroit Tigers. Drover Hagen goes for the Detroit Tigers. Griffin Canning for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is 10. The over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Angels, you're laying anywhere between minus 250 and minus 270. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Detroit Tigers is anywhere between plus 215 and plus 225. Going into Monday's action, the Detroit Tigers had lost 30 out of their last 35 games, 24 of which had been by two plus runs. Needless to say, things not going well for the Detroit Tigers. Griffin Canning has certainly had his struggles as well. He wound up having to essentially go and be a long reliever in that six inning game against in that 16-inning game against the Baltimore Orioles. He gave up five runs in that stint. His last start actually was decent. He went five innings giving up two runs against the Seattle Mariners, but this guy has been absolutely brutal. He's given up three runs or more in all but, I would say, three of his actual starts since the beginning of June, so things have not been necessarily rosy there. He's given up 1.6 home runs per nine innings. His walks are right around three and a half per nine innings. But then you take a look at Drew Verhagen and those numbers actually don't look too bad. One on one record, 1440 ERA. And his first start of the year against the Seattle Mariners gives up six runs of four innings. This is just a Detroit Tigers team that has no starting pitching at this point. Matthew Boyd is going to get traded any day now. And then they're going to have the saddest rotation that you've ever seen in your life. This Detroit Tigers team is hopeless. They're 30 and 72. They're losing seemingly every night on the run line. And you take a look at the Angels. Other 55 wins so far this year. 46 of them have been by two-plus runs. And they've got a very good lineup that is locked, loaded, and ready for bear. All led off by Mike Trout. Mike Trout, 297 batting average, 34 home runs, 85 RBI. You then have Shoei Otani and Daniel Fletcher, both hitting between a 288 and a 297. Justin Upton's only hitting at 233 and Cole Calhoun at 238. But in the case of Calhoun, 23 home runs for him. Albert Pujols is hitting right around at 245. He's supplied 17 dingers. And Drolton Simmons is back in the fold. He's hitting at 275. Matt Diaz is still hitting below the Mendoza line, but he came up very clutch in that series against the Baltimore Orioles. He's getting a home run every 10 or so at bat, so got to like what you're seeing there. The Angels are dealing with some injuries, and the Detroit Tigers, they're not really dealing with injuries. They're just dealing with the fact that they've got a poopy roster. You've got Miguel Cabrera and Nick Cassianos, along with Harold Castro, hitting between a 274 and a 285. They are the bright spots of this team, as you've got Jacoby Jones and Christian Stewart, both hitting in the realm of a 235. Nico Gurdrum hitting a 250. That's been nice, but then you've got Jody Mercer, Gordon Beckham, Jordan Hicks, Grayson Griner, Roddy Rodriguez, and Jaimir Candelario. All these guys are hitting a 220 or lower. This team is a, as offensive as Ned Flanders. Brandon Dixon has been their best power hitter this year. 260 batting average, 13 home runs, 39 RBI. There's just not much to speak of with this Detroit Tigers lineup. If you're betting your money on them, you're just lighting it on fire at this point. This is a spot where I've got to take a look at the LA Angels on the run line and this total over. 
with the over. I'm currently seeing that at minus 115, so I'd obviously like to be able to lay a little bit less juice there. And with the Angels' run line, that is hovering in the neighborhood of minus 135. Obviously want to mitigate that as much as possible, but certainly going to be riding with both of those. We move on to 921-922 on the betting rotation. It is the San Diego Padres, and they're going to be playing host the Baltimore Orioles. Denelson Lamette goes for the San Diego Padres. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, it looks like it's going to be Tom Shellman, but there's likely going to be an opener for him, which is why this game is currently off the board. And this is an interesting spot because Tom Shellman, well, he got shelled when he made his last true start against the Boston Red Sox, giving up five runs in three and two-thirds innings. But when he was used as essentially a bulk guy, four and a third innings, and gave up one run against the LA Angels. This is a Baltimore Orioles team that came into their series against the San Diego Padres having won three out of their last four, playing some decent baseball. And I am not a believer in Denelson Lamette one bit. He's given up more than two home runs per nine innings. He is a good flamethrower. He's getting right around 11 to 12 strikeouts per nine innings. But you take a look at this guy. He's went 18 innings in his four starts. He's got a five ERA. He's just not doing a lot for me. This is it. This is a squad that was able to win its last start against the New York Mets, but none of that was really thanks to him. That was thanks to some good bullpen pitching. He's not providing a lot of length. And when you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles, this is a team that's actually heating up with their bats. Hans Alberto hitting above 300 against lefties. He's actually hitting close to 400. You've got Renato Nunez and Trey Mancini both doing a good job of being able to go yard with Nunez. 25 home runs. Batting average right around a 250. Mancini, 280 batting average. He's went deep 24 times. Jonathan Villar hitting a little bit above a 260. You've got Jan Sisko now hitting a 240, so he's seen a little bit of a whoa there. But Pedro Severino's hitting a 275. You also have a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat. Stevie Wilkerson, Jace Peterson, Richie Martin, Keon Brogson, Chris Davis, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. And Rio Ruiz is dealing with some injuries, but Anthony Santander is hitting a 300 himself. Then when you take a look at the flip side for the San Diego Padres, this is a team that is able to generate a whole lot of power, 157 home runs over the course of their first 105 games, but they're only hitting 243 as a collective. That's actually lower than the Baltimore Orioles. Eric Cosmer has really been the guy that's been getting on base for them. 280 batting average, 13 home runs, 64 RBI. He has not been supplying a lot of power or RBI recently, though. Manny Machado's hitting at 271, 25 home runs. And then you've got Hunter Renfro and Femio Reyes doing a very good job of being able to pump the balls out of the ballpark. For Hunter Renfro, he's hitting right around a 240, 29 home runs for him. Femio Reyes, more around 27 home runs. He's hitting in the neighborhood of a 250, but he has been in and out of the lineup recently. And with the San Diego Padres, you've got a lot of guys that do need to pick it up with their batting averages. Ian Kinsler, Will Myers, Luis Arias, Austin Edges, and Francisco Mejia, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. I will say that you're getting a lot out of Fernando Tatis Jr., 333 batting average, 17 home runs, 14 stolen bases at the top of the lineup. Myself and Mike Oz were just gushing about him a little bit earlier and for good reason. But with the Padres, even though they're fielding independent of their bullpen, it's a little bit better than their ERA. They certainly have been struggling in that regard. And the Baltimore Orioles, the bullpen has not necessarily been the best this year. That's an understatement, but they have actually looked a little bit better recently. So if you're getting a massive plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles, might wind up taking a look at it, and I'll probably be taking a look at an over. As always, check back in the morning, though, on my Twitter feed, at Grady one for set plays there. We move on to 923-924 on the bank rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are hitting the road to face off against the New York Yankees. J.A. Hepheparay goes for the Yankees. Taylor Clark for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total on this game is 11.5. Over is used at minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Diamondbacks, big plus price here. Anywhere between plus 195 and plus 206. Yep, you got to get that extra penny. Meanwhile, with the Yankees... If you're looking at them, you're laying anywhere between minus 228 and minus 230. 
And this is a spot where I'm actually going to be taking a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. It has been a very, very bumpy ride, to say the least, for J.A. Happ. This is a gentleman that's giving up a little bit more than two home runs per nine innings. 523 RA, which makes it baffling that he has currently an 8-5 record. I will say his first three starts of the month of July were actually very good. He wound up going right in the neighborhood of five innings in each of them. A combined five runs given up in those three starts. So he certainly was decent there. But then he ended the month of June by giving up eight runs and four innings to the Houston Astros. And he just doesn't do well against teams that are able to create some hard contact. The Arizona Diamondbacks in a little bit of a weird scheduling spot. They were in Miami yesterday taking on the Marlins. Obviously, Merrill Kelly did not give them necessarily the best of starts. But with the Arizona Diamondbacks, their road record is above 500. And as an underdog on the run line, 42 and 21. So that is pretty staggering. The Yankees, meanwhile, at home, 38 and 17. But they've actually been playing a lot more unders at home than they have been on the road. And the Euros and the Diamondbacks absolutely mash on the road. They just don't generate a lot of offense at home. So I do think that that's an interesting split as well. And for the Euros and the Diamondbacks, Cattell Marte has really been issuing the power for the team. 320 batting average, 23 home runs. Eduardo Escobar doing a great job himself, batting between a 285 and a 290, 22 dingers for him. Tim LeCastro, Gerard Dyson, and Christian Walker are all guys hitting between a 249 and a 255. In the case of Christian Walker, he's got 19 home runs. You then have Adam Jones, Nick Abad, and Carson Kelly hitting between a 265 and a 270. Wilmer Flores is hitting a 280 himself. And even when Alex Avila is in there at the catcher spot, only right around a 220, but the on-base percentage nearing a 370. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, they certainly have been banged up all year long. Brett Gardner is currently on the injured list. Gary Sanchez has been in and out of the lineup. You do have a few guys that are back, though, for this team. Aaron Judge has been doing a great job for this bunch. He's hitting just below a 290. Edwin Encarnacion certainly has been supplying the long ball. He's got 29 home runs between his time with the Yankees and the Seattle Mariners. Aaron Hicks has been picking it up. His batting average is right now right around a 245. Didier Gregorius is hitting a 280 along with Luke Voigt. And in the case of Luke Voigt, he has went yard 19 times. Gio Rochelle is hitting above a 300. Glaber Torres, he's got 19 home runs himself. His batting average is a 290. Been a little bit of a mess out there in the field, but he's been doing a very good job at the plate. Austin Romine now is his batting average above 260. He's been filling in for Gary Sanchez and Cameron Maben hitting at 325 himself, but with this Yankees bunch being so banged up, I do think that this is a good spot for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks bullpen certainly has been relenting a little bit, and with the Yankees, you do have all those great bullpen arms. Tommy Canely, David Hale, Adam Adovino, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman and company, but you do have with Taylor Clark, a guy that seems to be improving a little bit. In his last start, I know it was against the Orioles. He won six innings, giving up two runs in that one. This is a guy that's actually been cashing some plus tickets. At the end of June, he wound up going five innings, giving up two runs against the Dodgers. That was a massive plus price cash there. And I do think that he's going to be able to keep the game out in front of him and give the Diamondbacks a chance. So for that reason, going to be riding with the Diamondbacks in this best plus price and this total under. Currently trying to see if this price goes any higher because I do think that public money is going to be coming in on the Yankees. Currently in Wayne C mode on the under, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit better juice, if not a 12. 925-926 on the bang rotation. The Miami Marlins playing also the Minnesota Twins. Jake Odorizzi goes for the Twins. Zach Gallen for the Miami Marlins. Your total on this game is 8. Over Zeus of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Twins, anywhere between minus 150 and minus 155. Your plus price with the fish is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145. And this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Minnesota Twins. Now, Jake Odorizzi certainly has been relenting a lot of runs recently in his last start against the New York Yankees. 
gives up nine runs in four innings. And you take a look at his last seven starts. He's given up fewer than three earned runs in just one of them. And the Miami Marlins were able to get a lot of offense generated against the errors of the Diamondbacks yesterday, but a lot of that was generated by errors and just Merrill Kelly in general not being good. So I thought that that was a little bit of a flash in the pan, to say the least. And for the Miami Marlins, you have a couple guys that are doing a nice job of being able to get on base. Miguel Rojas and Garrett Cooper, both hitting between a 290 and a 295. Harold Ramirez is hitting a 275 himself. You've got Sterling Castro, Neil Walker, and Brett Anderson, all in between a 246 and a 260. In the case of Brett Anderson, he has went deep 15 times. He had a home run yesterday, but then got a couple guys that you really can't trust in, like Curtis Granderson, Austin Dean, JT Riddle. These guys are all hitting below a 200, but Brian Holiday at the catcher spot, hitting a 300. He's been in for Jorge Alfaro, who has not been seen in quite a while. And for the Miami Marlins, I will say, their bullpen has been a little bit better, but with the Minnesota Twins, you do have one of the most lethal lineups that you are ever going to see. In their first 105 games of the year, 205 home runs, and it's headlined by Max Kepler. 262 batting average, 28 home runs, 72 RBI. Jorge Polanco, 16 home runs himself. He's hitting a 305. You've just got so many guys up and down the lineup there doing it. Nelson Cruz, he was able to have a three home run game in their last series against the Chicago White Sox. He's got 26 on the year. His batting average is a 285. Mitch Garver, 19 home runs for him, 285 batting average. Miguel Sano is getting a home run every 10 or so at bats. You've got Luis Arreyes, who has a on base percentage of a 442, 368 batting average. You've got Marwan Gonzalez, Jonathan Scope, Byron Buxton, Jason Castro, all these guys hitting between a 252 and a 260. A lot of power in those guys as well. It's just everyone for the Minnesota Twins that's providing it. And with Zach Allen, he's done a good job so far this year in his starts. 29 and third innings, only giving up two home runs. His issue is walks, though. He's given up right around 4.5 walks per nine innings. You take a look at his four starts in the month of July. They've been pretty good. He's given up a combined five earned runs in those four starts. But the problem is one of those starts was only two innings against the Washington Nationals. So this is not a guy that's providing a lot of length. And I think that the Twins are going to certainly find a way to get to the Miami Marlins in the spot. So for that reason, looking at this total over and looking at the Minnesota Twins, right now deciding whether to go money line or run line, it all depends on if I'm able to get a nice plus price on the run line or not. Might play play the money line to be safe, so I'm in wait and see mode there. I certainly would like to see if I'm able to get an unjuice eight in this spot, but we're going to be riding out both of those. 927-928 on the betting rotation. It is the Chicago White Sox playing also the New York Mets. Noah Thor Syndergaard goes for the New York Mets if he is not traded by this time tomorrow. Meanwhile, Rinaldo Lopez is on the mound for the Chicago White Sox. Your total on this game is 9. Over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 152 and minus 158. With the Sox, that's anywhere between plus 138 and plus 148. And Noah Syndergaard, you got to think that there's going to be a lot on his mind if he actually does wind up making this start. Meanwhile, with Mr. Lopez, he's giving up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings, 5.52 ERA, 5 and 9 record, but he has looked better recently. I will say this in his last three starts, he's went a combined 21 innings, giving up four runs. That was against the A's, the Rays, and the Marlins. Other than the Marlins, you're actually facing off against some good lineups. He was able to help the team get a win in his last start in the month of June against the Red Sox as well. He went into Fenway, gave up three runs in the first innings, and then gave up no runs the next five. So I actually like what I'm seeing out of Ronaldo Lopez right now. Meanwhile, with Noah Syndergaard, he's done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. 
A little bit over one home run per nine on a 7-5 record, but his issue is that he's just giving up consistently right around three home, three runs or so. You take a look at his starts ever since the beginning of the month of June. He's given up between three and four earned runs in five of them. I believe that there's been just four starts in which he's given up fewer than three earned runs, so that has obviously been a little bit of an issue. He's just giving it up a little bit here and there with the Chicago White Sox. They really have not been providing a lot of offense. 12 out of their last 17 games, they've scored three runs or fewer, but you do still have some good bats out there. Jose Abreu, 266 batting average, 22 home runs, 72 RBI. Yuan Moncada is hitting above 300 for this team as well. He has went deep 20 times. He has really been supplying the boom. They wind up designating for assignment Yonder Alonso. He is now on the Colorado Rockies, so they don't need to deal with him. Wellington Castillo and A.J. Reed both not getting the job done with their bat, but Eloy Jimenez is back in the fold. He's hitting a 240. He's got some power. John Jay is hitting above a 320. Ryan Goins hitting above a 300 himself. Flores Garcia, a 290. Ryan Cordell is hitting a 235. And Yomer Sanchez and Adam Engel both hitting between a 245 and a 240, so I actually do like what I'm seeing there. Meanwhile, the Mets, they certainly have been picking up with the offense. Pete Alonso has been amazing. 77 RBI, 34 home runs, 258 batting average. Jeff McNeil at the top lineup, hitting a little bit above a 335. Robinson Cano has not necessarily been the best this year, but he did have a three-home run game last week. He seems to be picking things up. He and the Todd Father, both hitting between a 240 and a 246. You do have Michael Conforto and Wilson Ramos, both hitting between a 250 and a 260. And in the case of Conforto, he's went deep 20 times. J.D. Davis has actually been hitting above a 300. I know a lot of people give him a lot of flack, but he's actually been doing a solid job for this team. At Denny Echeverria, only getting a 235, not much to write home about there. But I do like what I'm seeing out of the Mets lineup. But I do think that Ronaldo Lopez has been pitching really well. And I think that he's going to be able to deliver once again here for these Chicago White Sox. I know that Syndergaard has a lot on the mind, and I think that that's going to play with him a little bit in this spot. And I do think that the White Sox are going to be able to pull this one out in a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the White Sox and the total under. With regards to this under, currently in Wayne C mode, and currently in Wayne C mode on the White Sox as well. We just have no earthly idea what's happening with Noah Syndergaard. So right now holding off on firing in on both of those plays, but that's right now the leans on that. And we wrap things up with 929-930 on the bang rotation. It is the Oakland A's, and they are going to be playing offs to the Milwaukee Brewers. For the Oakland A's, this game has me hook, line, and sinker because it is Chris Bassett going on the mound for the Oakland A's. It appears as though Adrian Hauser is going to be the starter for the Milwaukee Brewers. That's according to ESPN and not the odds betting board, though. So for that reason, this game presently off the board. And when Adrian Hauser is beginning a start for the Milwaukee Brewers, it has been an absolute hot mess for him. He has wound up making three starts in the month of July, giving up three, four, and five runs in those starts. That is a combined 12 runs over 15 innings in his starts. And as a reliever, he's got an ERA right around two. He just is not a guy that starts. He's a guy that should be coming out of the bullpen. And with Chris Bassett, he certainly has been doing a very solid job for the Oakland A's. Giving up right around 1.25 home runs per nine innings. He's had a couple of woes in the month of July. He's had two starts in which he's given up four-plus earned runs. But you take a look at this guy. In the month of June, he gave up either two or three earned runs in every one of his starts. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to go out there and light the world on fire. But at the same time, he's not going to light the game on fire as well. And for the Oakland A's, they back him up with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues over the last, I would say, two months. They're in the top three in regards to bullpen ERA. You've got the guys like Blake Tryon and Luke Trevino that have been firing all cylinders. We do know that the Marine League 
player is going to be out in this one as well, so that should certainly help them keep the ball in the yard against a Milwaukee Brewers team that does a very good job of hitting home runs, but you know who else does a good job of being able to hit home runs? This Oakland A's lineup, as you've got Mark Hanna now hitting 17 home runs. His batting average is above a 250. You've also got Matt Olson hitting a 255. He's getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. You've got Matt Chapman and Marcus Simeon at the top of the lineup hitting between a 267 and a 275 in the case of Chapman. He's got 23 home runs. Chris Davis has been woeful at the plate. He and Drix and Brofar are both hitting below a 225. But then you've got Robbie Grossman and Chad Pinder along with Jeff Feagley. All these guys are hitting between a 241 and a 251. Ramon Loreno certainly has been doing his part as well. 284 batting average, 21 home runs for him. And the catcher spot in general has actually been very good for the Oakland A's. Meanwhile, with the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got Christian Yelich lighting the world on fire. He's hitting above a 335, 37 home runs, over 80 RBI. This guy just comes up big when the moment is biggest as well. Ryan Braun is hitting at 270. Keston Hira has been terrific ever since getting called back up. 325 batting average, on base nearly a 400. He's doing everything for this team, including power. Yasmani Grandal has went deep 19 times. His batting average is a 260. Mike Musakis, 26 home runs for him. He's hitting right around a 265. Ben Gamble's hitting a 250. Jesus Aguiar is leaving a little bit of something to be desired. E. Orlando Arcia and Travis Shaw, along with Manny Pina, are all hitting below a 225, so they do need to work on that a little bit, but you're also getting with the Milwaukee Brewers, I would say a little bit of improved bullpen play. You've got Josh Hader who's going to be available in this game if needed, so that is going to be a little bit of a key. So early leans on this play going to be to the under and most likely the Oakland A's, but with no line on the board, please, as always, do check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare. You want for a set play there. And that's also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. As always, tweet it to the timeline and not the DMs because I just won't see the DM, but... As always, feel free to fire those in. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports for joining me in the second segment. And let's have a successful, profitable, and fun day. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.